Welcome to the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. My name is Steve Wopolinik. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and one of the founders of the Promethean Project. Our guests are people who have broke the chains of their limitations and found the strength of their potential. We offer their stories as inspiration and as guidance to help others navigate their quest to find their flame. Na 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 na. Welcome, listeners. Happy, merry holidays for everyone out there. You are tuning in to Break the Chains, Find Your Flame, episode eighteen. Um, we're we're right on the cusp of a new year, entering twenty twenty, and actually, the guest for this episode has some really good advice on how to enter twenty twenty in a very amazing way so stick tuned stick tuned (laughs) stay tuned to the end of the podcast to listen to her request and her insight on how we should all enter uh, 2020 i did this whole intro before this and forgot to uh, record it and i thought it was really good so i'm just gonna wing this and, and see where we go with this um but, you know, it's part of the practice, part of the discipline of making a podcast is that sometimes it's important to keep some of this in. So everyone knows it's not just this flawless piece of awesomeness and that there's some realness to it. And that is what we do here on Break the Chains, Find Your Flame. We're coming at you real. So the name of this episode is Enter the 37th Chamber. And if you listen to the episode, you'll understand why it's called this. But let me let me set it up a little bit for you. Our guest is Susan Piver. Uh, She is a meditation teacher and well-known author, and she has some amazing insight in this interview, and and I'll get into that in a little bit. But in talking about the episode, I gave my initial insights on what I thought meditation was when I was much younger and why I got into it, basically uh, referencing old kung fu movies and Wu-Tang Clan. And so throughout our conversation, we decided that we were going to name this Enter the 37th Chamber because, you know, with meditation, uh, it just kind of fit for where the conversation was going. So I mentioned that Susan has been practicing meditation for over 20 years. She's a meditation teacher and well-known author. She has an amazing skill set and speaks at workshops and trainings on mindfulness, innovation, communication, relationships, and creativity. And she actually founded in 2012 the Open Heart Project, which is the world's largest online meditation center. Now, she kind of pokes fun at herself a little bit in the episode and says, well, you know, it's really one of the only online only meditation centers out there. But uh, if you listen to her and, and listen to some of the videos and trainings she has out there, you'll see it's, that's not the only reason. It's, it's over 20,000 people strong. She's very inviting and has a way of breaking down these complex uh, thoughts of meditation and mindfulness and Buddhism in a way that is very inviting and kind of embraces the listener. So I really hope you guys listen uh, to her insight and and take it to heart. Really pay attention to the end of the podcast because I think it's a good invitation into how to enter 2020. And I'm going to post a link with this too. She has 
a meditation challenge um, that starts on December 26th. Uh, you can follow the link in the show notes and it's free. And it's also a good way to, to enter into 2020. And I do want to point out one more thing. I first learned of Susan by going to a training at Harvard Medical School about meditation and mindfulness. There she talked about her new new book, The Four Noble Truths of Love, Buddhist Wisdom for Modern Relationships, which I really enjoyed and I think everyone should pick that up. But then after I interviewed her, I went back to some of her earlier work and started listening to Start Here Now, an open-hearted guide to, pa- to the path and practice of meditation. And I really recommend this book to anyone who's ever wanted to start meditation or has a cursory understanding of what meditation is. Uh, She does a really good job succinctly summing up meditation and its practices, talking about awareness, talking about mindfulness, and then talking about different paths of meditation and how they pertain to her life. And she gets in depth about the meditation she teaches and um, her own understanding of it. So uh, check out those books. Stay tuned to the end of the podcast. Check out her challenge on meditation entering the new year. Uh, we got a lot of goodies for you right before this holiday season. So without further ado, episode 18. In a world where humanity's potential is imprisoned and locked away, our only hope is to break the chains and find our flame. Welcome to episode 18. Our guest today is Susan Piver. Welcome, Susan. Thank you. Glad to be here. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm perfect. Thank you for asking. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you could do this today. I actually had the luxury of seeing you speak at a Harvard medical presentation of uh, mindfulness and meditation last year. No, earlier this year, I think in April or or May. Um, And I think when I reached out to you, it was really invigorating to to me to see you speak because you come from a place of practicing Buddhism f- since 1995, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was 17, I got to see the Dalai Lama speak, and that really interested me in looking more into Buddhism. And somewhere along the way, I lost that train of thought, and it was just really inspiring to hear you talk um, to kind of get me back into that, that aspect. That's um, great. So I'm glad that we could have you on because I'm kind of geeking out, nerd, nerd geeking out over here to have you. Um, so uh, can you introduce yourself and just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, my name is Susan Piver. I'm a writer and a meditation teacher and founder of something called the Open Heart Project, which is an online, I, I think it's, the, well, it's the largest online mindfulness community in the world. However, it's also the only one, so... <laughs> Just got to be sure to add that part. It's still awesome, though. (laughs) It's still awesome, yeah. That's great. Um, And actually, I just signed up for your uh, holiday, uh, the 26th. I think you're doing like a six-day meditation into the new year. So I just signed up for that last night, so I'm looking forward to it. Oh, that's great. That's going to be good. So can you tell me a little bit about your journey? And let's start with Buddhism, because I think that's... um, that's a big thing that we haven't really talked a lot about here on the podcast and something that I think a lot of people don't really know about. Mm-hmm. I think they get a general sense of it and they like those little Buddha statues you can buy pretty much anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your journey to Bo- Buddhism and, and what kind of led you there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, 
what I ultimately I think what led me here was karma and good fortune, but I read a lot as ever since I was a kid, just about all sorts of things that could possibly explain what the hell was going on around here. <laughs> and at one point, this was many years ago, I was reading a book called The Heart of the Buddha. I didn't know anything about it, except I liked the title, I, oh, The Heart. That turned out to be actually quite instrumental. I never thought of it until right now. <laughs> that my whole community is called the Open Heart Project. That escaped me until this very moment. But I was interested that the about the heart aspect, like because usually when I read things about spirituality of any kind, there was no, not a lot of emphasis on feelings or it, it, except to point them out as afflictive. Mm-hmm. So I loved that book, and then I didn't do anything about it. I just put it back on the shelf. But then I ended up through happenstance meeting someone who became my own meditation instructor, who is still my meditation instructor to this day. And it turned out that he published that book. Oh, really? Yeah. That's amazing. So, yeah, it is amazing. So it was serendipity and good luck. And but as soon as I started reading about it, and when he taught me to meditate, I, there was no question I, I knew that it was, it was the only th- thing I'd ever encountered that actually made sense. That's great. So you, that was in 1995-ish? That was 93, oh, four 93. or so. But okay. then I formally became a Buddhist on March 10th, 1995. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. so, so many years of practice. Uh-huh. Um, what do you think, and it's hard to condense things down into to one boiling point of a, a soundbite, but what do you think initially was your interaction with the practice, and then um, how has it grown over over the years? Mm. Well, I, you know, it was way before mindfulness was a thing or meditation was, and I still, I didn't even really tell people what I was doing because I, I think they automatically assumed I was in a cult or something because right. I meditated. Um, I, my, the, my meditation teacher told me to do it, taught me how to meditate and said, you should do this. I mean, I don't, I don't do something just because someone says I should, but as soon as I started practicing, I noticed that things began to change right. in subtle ways. And I wasn't necessarily happier or was unab- I was unable to escape from suffering. In fact, the opposite. I felt more suffering, more of everything, more acutely. But it, 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 the, pa- the practice is its own magic. It, it just takes you on a journey and the less I can try to dictate where that journey should go and instead be curious about where it is going, the more interesting it is and uh, not to mention the more fruitful. So it's, it's, a, it's a weirdly magical practice of sitting there doing nothing, right. quote unquote unquote, but it seems <laughs> to change everything. Yeah, I, th- I think that's one of the best things I've ever experienced about meditation is that you go into the idea of it, you know, I grew up watching kung fu movies, um, listening to Wu-Tang Clan, so like really big on on some of those. And my brother actually uh, lived in Taiwan for about seven years doing martial arts, doing Tai Chi, Bagua, uh, Sing Yi, those kind of things. And he was the one who actually brought me to uh, see the Dalai Lama when I was 17. And 
he's always been this kind of cultural icon for me, uh, my mm. brother, because he's just exposed me to so many things. I remember in eighth grade talking to him, being upset because, you know, I don't even know what the problem was, but it was an eighth grade problem that was going on, which looking back wasn't anything big, but was really dramatic at the time. Mm-hmm. And he talked to me a little bit about uh, Taoism and the, the yin and the yang and then walking that path in between. And then, so since, since then, I've always had this affinity to, to oh, I want to meditate. I want to do martial arts. I want to do these things. And I remember the first time I actually sat down to meditate, I was like, this is not what I thought it was. Um, because, you know, I think I, you know, I went to like a Taoist yoga session with my brother in uh, Brookline up in Boston area. And I was like, oh, where's my sudden enlightenment? Where is all, <laughs> all this stuff that's supposed to happen with meditation? And, you know, I had a really, I didn't really have a beginner's mind entering it. I was like, oh, here's the clear path to where I want to be enlightened and a Kung Fu ma- master. Uh, and it just kind of spun me a little bit. And at first I wasn't sure, like I think a lot of people who, who try to meditate or try to start that journey, they're like, oh, this, I can't do this. I, you know, this isn't what I thought it was. But with sticking through it off and on throughout the years, I finally got this place in my practice where it's a lot more consistent and I'm enjoying the different things that, that kind of appear from it. Like what? Um, <clears throat> well, this is, this is kind of a weird connection, but I was doing a meditation with uh, Amala the other day before going to bed and I had this really intense, well, the other day, I mean in July, <laughs> and I had this really intense dream of my little nephew uh, and he came to me and he presented me with like the sword and the shield and he called it Vasa. And, um, so when I woke up, I, I, I'm a big believer of like, okay, let's look into what the dreams are, are kind of talking about. And when I looked, looked it up, it was this period from July to October about really focusing on meditation, really focusing on uh, ridding some of the to- toxins from your, your system and really dedicating to practice. You know, it could just be where my mind was, but it was kind of a sign for me to kind of create a more dedicated practice. And I've been doing that since July. And mm-hmm. it's been pretty amazing. That's great. Yeah. But, you know, just, just the stillness of it, um, trying to see where the mind goes and how to redirect it for me has been really helpful. Um, not redirect, but focus, right? And, mm-hmm. um, just what I get from the practice, almost daily practice of, of meditation is not necessarily that enlightenment that I thought of as a kid, but it gives me that space to go about my day and have more of an open mind and, and connection to things. What kind of meditation are you practicing? It's just kind of sitting and, and focusing, right? So it's, it's not... Focusing on what? Focusing on breath. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have been doing a lot of visualizations as I do it too. So mm-hmm. really, sometimes I will put on a background sound of like an ocean and really just mm-hmm. listen. So it starts with the breath for me. And then I, I try to engage my senses to, to create a sense of uh, a visualization of something that, depending on what I'm talking, thinking about that day, uh, would be really helpful to move me forward. Mm-hmm. But I know there's a ton of different uh, steps to meditation and, and things of that nature. So I'm still really in the infancy of my own practice, but really... Um, trying to dive in and learn different um, ways or things that connect well for me. The mala is really helpful for me just so I can let go of that thought of time and really be in the meditation. Mm. 
What would happen if you couldn't let go of the thought of time? That's the question, right? I feel like it'd be still beneficial because it's developing a discipline in the practice, I feel like. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not that I try to run from that. It's just that sometimes I feel, I don't know, more connected if I can let go of that and, and kind of move forward through it. Mm -hmm. Cool. <laughs> so when you started, uh, so you're an author, you have a number of books out there. The one that I'm most familiar is The Four Noble Truths of Love, mm -hmm. um, which is great, but you have a, a couple other ones. Do you mind mentioning a couple of them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wrote a book called The Wisdom of a Broken Heart. It's about bringing Buddhist notions, I guess you could call them, into relationship heartbreak. And I wrote a book before that called uh, How Not to Be Afraid of Your Own Life, which is also about meditation, even though it doesn't sound like it from the title. Mm -hmm. And it's a couple others, but nice. those are the main ones. That's awesome. How did you find, you know, doing your own practice of meditation, how did you find that related to, to generating these books? Did that come from your practice, or did, does it envelop in some of the writing? Or Nothing is ever that clear. Okay to me and in my world it nothing is ever that causally connected as far as i can tell okay and the <clears throat> it'd be great if there was a neat narrative that i could apply but there isn't that doesn't make me a very good podcast guest <laughs> <laughs> it's okay but that's how it is yeah um there yeah i i guess the connection for me is I never thought I would write a book. I never thought I would be a writer. I never thought I'd be a meditation teacher, for that matter. But um, I just kept realizing that the more I read and the more I practiced, the more practical the whole thing seemed. And that there's a kind of radical message underlying all the teachings that I studied, which was something like, don't try to get anywhere. Try to be somewhere. Mm -hmm. Don't dictate the experience. Track the experience. Don't uh, craft your life, shepherd your life. Those are very different things. Yeah. And I found it to be very practical. And so I wanted to share what I learned, uh, not as a teacher, but as a student. And which is still my attitude. I, and I, I can share what it's like to apply these teachings to everyday life. In my case, particularly relationships, but all areas of life. You know, nobody, nobody has to be a Buddhist to sit down and notice their breath or uh, try to be kind. So, but there are specific teachings about how to do those things that I thought I found to be very, very helpful. So I just wanted to share them. That's great. So you, you come to your writing out of a place of, of not being a teacher, not kind of going out there but and saying this is what you do. It's more like this is what I've experienced and this is what's been helpful for me. In the beginning it was that, that most particularly, but I am a teacher now. But I, I've, I'm a teacher in my own way, just like every teacher is in their own way, which is a you know, the only difference between me and you is I've been doing this longer. And that counts for something. I've also been trained to teach and authorized to teach and, and so on. But um, I think the world has had enough of 
top-down teaching strategies of, in Buddhism or otherwise, where someone's at the top says that, and says to the person below them, this is what you should do, and they say to the below them, this is what you should do, and you have to climb a ladder to get certain teachings, and someone's at the top of the ladder. And I, I just don't think that's a... I think we've had enough of that. Yeah. So there's a more communal way to share it. I still am a teacher. I'm not trying to pretend otherwise. But I, my hope is to find a way to teach in a more uh, inclusive way, but with, still with a clear, clear roles. Right. That's interesting. Have you done any experimentation with how to shift some of that? Mm-hmm. My whole Open Heart Project okay. is an experiment in that, I would say. Um, and my books are experiments in that because I appreciate you reading the Four Noble Truths yeah. of Love. Thank you. And I, I hope that you felt included and, and spoken to eyeball to eyeball, not staged crowd. You know what I mean? Yeah. So no. one, oh, go ahead. One of the great joys of teaching online I discovered <clears throat> was how intimate it is that no matter how many people you're speaking to, and there are 20,000 people in the Open Heart Project. There's, there, it's a lot. But for each of us, it's eyeball to eyeball because I'm looking in my camera, they're looking in their camera. It's like you and me right now. The distance feels like it's about this far. Right. As opposed to most teaching voices or uh, environments that whether they are this or not, feel they're one to many. Like I'm right. separated on a stage talking to lots of people who I can't differentiate between. It does. That's not how it is anymore. Not for me, anyway. I do think that uh, that's. A, we had a, a guest on a couple episodes ago, and we talked about the benefits of technology and social media. And I think what you're talking about is a great benefit that's overlooked sometimes when we hear, "Oh, technology," and we wave our fists like angry old men or women. Um, I think that's a great point that you brought up is, is that ability to actually connect and, and actually sit face to face with someone rather po- as opposed to speaking over a crowd of, of mm-hmm. hundreds of people or thousands of people. It's um, quite potent. I didn't, I didn't anticipate it when I started doing it seven years ago, but so it is. How did you start the Open Heart Project? Well, I was, um, I started to teach meditation. I was trained to teach meditation and I started to teach and I started to lead some retreats here and there. And at the end of the retreat, I would say what I was taught to say, because I know it's true, it, which is if you want to keep meditating, find a meditation instructor. Mm. Very important. Because right. otherwise, it's very easy to confuse the practice, to muddle the practice. To I happen to be traditional in this regard. So I would always say that. If you want to keep meditating, great, but find someone to talk to about your practice. Find a meditation teacher. Not a guru, but just someone who you can talk to about your meditation practice. And I remember the first time I thought of anything close to the Open Heart Project was when this woman raised her hand and said, I'm living in a yurt outside of Juneau, Alaska for the summer. I don't know how to find a meditation instructor. (laughs) I was like, well, fair enough. And the next person said, I, I lived in New York City, but I just moved to Bolivia to work for the Peace Corps. How do I find a meditation instructor? Right. So clearly 90% of people or more could not find a meditation instructor. So I eventually said, well, give me your email address. I'll send you a meditation instructional video as a stopgap. 
just so you can actually get some instruction of guided by a teacher. And then people started asking questions like, my foot falls asleep, what, what should I do? Or, so I started prefacing each video, 10 minute sit with a little talk answering someone's question. Mm. And that's what it still is to this day, but it, it very quickly grew to 1,000 and 10,000 and now almost 20,000. Because it does fill a need I, I have gathered. That's amazing. And I think that yeah, point is. is so pivotal um, you know, when you asked me about my meditation, that's kind of the point I'm looking at now is to get more guidance on it. Um, mm-hmm. because I've just been experimenting with different things I've learned in, in, in my counseling background, I know how to do progressive relaxation meditations. I've done a lot of stuff on, on mindfulness, but for my own practice, I'm looking for a little bit more of an in-depth support. And, mm-hmm. and so I think that's really my next stage for, for moving forward. That's great. That, I wish you luck with that. That's an important. And the Open Heart Project was created for people just like you yeah. who want to want some guidance, aren't sure exactly, and don't either don't want to go to, can't find any Buddhist meditation center, mm. or can find one but can't go because they have three, 13 children, or yeah. can't, don't want to go because it's too creepy and weird. It's an easy way to try. That's awesome. I, I, I like how the idea came from, it happens a lot, but also it's really organic in the sense it came from people coming to you and saying, hey, this is my issue, and it just kind of grew from there. That's that's my whole life right there. You just explain my whole life. As much as I try to do things or have plans, or, they never work. I just seem to be built to respond to things. So there you have it. I think it's cool, too, how sometimes something small like that, a couple emails to start, generates this bigger current of, of need and, and uh, creates this movement forward. And, you know, we have a nonprofit that we're building out here in Western Mass, and that's kind of the same thing we've noticed, too, is, you know, my brother, my sister, and I sat down, and we were talking about how there's interconnections between needs of counseling or physical health or and mental health and, and how, hey, maybe we should get together and, and try to do an all-encompassing approach to it. That's and, great. And then things just kind of started rolling. We're, we're taking our time with it, but, you know, we had lawyers do their incorporation for the nonprofit for free because they mm-hmm. like the message, and it's just kind of garnered this movement forward. So That's great. It's awesome to be open to that stuff and have that stuff in your life. Mm-hmm. And it seems there's no other way yeah, right. <laughs> to boot. Well, I mean, <laughs> for me anyway. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think I think it's in general probably that approach too. but people it's, it's being open to seeing it in certain ways. I think that that we get kind of stuck behind these uh, constructs of things is mm-hmm. why is this happening? You know, holding on too much, uh, creating suffering, as you know, Buddhist tenants kind of talk about. Um, I don't, I think it kind of blinds us a little bit to see how things move through life. Mm-hmm. Yep, agreed. So I think when I saw you, and correct me if I'm wrong, when I saw you um, speaking, you talked about um, a lot of Buddhist thoughts about Dharma, Yanas. Um, but I think one of your biggest things that I took away from it, and kind of what I think you're talking about with the Open Heart um, Project, is this idea of there's three different ways to approach living in the world, right? And one is dedicating yourself to, uh, like monastic approaches. One of them's forgetting society and kind of going living in the woods. And the one is to live within society and kind of practice. 
And I think that connects. Mm -hmm. That's what I was getting from you when you were talking about your project and, and connecting with everyone through technology. Yeah, that's totally accurate. And yeah, this is the traditional view that there's three ways <clears throat> to walk the spiritual path. Each one leads to enlightenment. <clears throat> the first, as you say, is to become a monastic, uh, classic, you know, turn your back on the things of this world and just focus on your practice and your prayer and your study. And that's not going to be you or me, I guess, I'm guessing. It's not definitely, me anyway. <laughs> definitely not with the podcast. <laughs> Okay, not me either, and not most of us. And the, the second way is what's called a forest yogi or wandering mendicant, the, the, the people that go out with a begging bowl and just sort of turn their back on also on conventional life and sit in caves for three years and so on. Mm. That's also probably not going to be you and me. I don't think my <laughs> wife would like it too much if I just I get cold really easily. I'm not going <laughs> in any caves. <laughs> and my husband wouldn't care for it. But the third way is called the householder path. And fascinatingly, it is not, a, to me anyway, it's not a layman's path. It's an equal, equally profound path to enlightenment. It leads to complete liberation. But it involves embracing the things of this life, not turning your back on them. So the food you eat, the way you dress, your home, your bills your job and looking outside, the environment you live in, all of those become your practice. That's us. Yeah. It's interesting. Because, uh, again, feeding back into my kung fu addiction when I was younger, you only see in those, oh, you see the first two, but you don't really see the last path that you were talking the householder path. Um, that is so true. I think it's hard to translate into an action movie, like the quality of it, right? Um, it's very ordinary. Yeah. But I think that's where a lot of people live and thrive. And I think it makes sense to, to have that be an equal path. Well, maybe we should rename the householder path something like the 37th chamber. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I wish Wu-Tang listened to this podcast because they're getting, <laughs> getting a lot of props to it. Come on, Wu-Tang. We're ready to enter the 37th chamber. I know. I, you know, that might be the name of the podcast. I think I'm going to use the 37th chamber as, as the name. That's fabulous. I totally support that. I want to I'm, I'll be so happy to be a guest on the 37th Chamber podcast. <clears throat> let, me, let me just write that down. Real quick. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Um, there's so much I want to ask you, and I'm not really sure where to, to jump to next, but I know that uh, I follow you on social media. I like your, your videos are awesome. I think they're really engaging and they do well to, to bring people into the open heart project. Cause I think, it's it's very welcoming. Um, I think sometimes on social media, there can be a lot of pretense and there are a lot of like, hey, look at um, look at my degrees, look at my certificate. This is who I studied from. This is what I do. And I think sometimes people don't want to hear any of that. They just want to feel connected and welcomed. And I think you do a really good job of doing that in your social media posts. And um, even in some of the... Um, invites talking about what you're doing i know i think in september you were doing a, a meditation teacher um program mm -hmm. and i looked at that a lot and i was like oh i'm i'm on that precipice maybe next year you know you'll have me as a student um, awesome. and uh, i know you have you go to the shambhala center a lot i um, don't actually oh you don't i go to shambhala mountain center in okay, colorado center. yeah that's what but, i meant yeah Sorry. i do that twice a year yeah 
and you have um i think i saw that there's like a free program coming up in in march where you just pay for for living like living there for the week right exactly it's a full-on seven-day heavy intensive fun meditation retreat just sitting it's going to be great. I loved. I love it. This will be the third year I think that I've done it, and it's it's a great time of year to do it, because hopefully, at least for those of us in the northern hemisphere, the weather's starting to turn and it's springtime, and it's a good time to retreat and reinvigorate yourself from the winter. And I think that your ability to to translate a lot of these, what most people see as obscure concepts of ism or, or meditation, really are intriguing and, and get people to engage because I don't, I mean, I know a lot of people because of where the circles and paths I run in with my brother and, and, and what I do as a counseling. Um, but I don't know a lot of people who'd be like, Oh yeah, let's, let's go travel out to Colorado and sit for seven days and, and be really stoked about it. And so I think I that ability to drive people in is amazing. Um, well, I can say from experience, if you ever do it, it will be the best thing you ever did in your whole life doesn't matter. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking yeah. about any real meditation retreat. Right. It'd be the best thing you ever did. That is also on my list. So I'll be, maybe this coming year, I'll, I'll be able to, to do a couple of the things on my list and move forward. That would be great. Awesome. Uh, one of the things, so I was just hyping up this next, next question, because I don't know too much about it, but I hear a lot about it, is uh, Enneagrams. Am I saying that right? Mm -hmm. Singular, Enneagram. Enneagram. Um, <laughs> I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Because um, I, I, it's come up a lot of times, and I, I've briefly looked at it, um, but I don't know too much about it, and I'd like to pick your brain a little bit on, on it. The only thing I can't do is talk about it a little bit, <laughs> but I will try. I, I, I can't remember who it is, like some the writer Balzac or something. is attributed to Mark Twain, but it, it, some person has said this, actually not Mark Twain. Uh, he said something like... Uh, Apologies for the long letter. I didn't have time to write you a short letter <laughs> because to be brief is actually harder. Right. So I feel the same way about the Enneagram. It's, it's quite profound and amazing. And it's, uh, it talks about nine ways of being, nine ways of being in the world. And one of those ways is yours. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways is your wife's. And one of those ways is your brother's. And maybe they're the same, maybe they're not. Most likely not. But to see which one is yours and which one is the, the people you love really helps so much with generating compassion and connection and communication. And, and beyond those relational things, it helps you see yourself more clearly and let yourself off the hook for things you think suck about you, right. but actually don't. Very profound. Yeah, it sounds very profound. I, I find myself sometimes thinking back to fifth grade about a, an incident where I was not the kindest person to a friend of mine. Mm. And I feel like it. I've gotten to the point now that I can let myself off the hook for it when it comes up and, and really look at it for what it was and what came from it. But earlier in my life, I remember really looking back and just being really down about mm. something that happened in fifth grade and, and you know it wasn't anything significant to the point of I've talked to that friend and they don't even remember the incident but for me it's like that monkey brain won't let go of it it just yeah. really keeps coming up in random places oh 
Yeah. So. Well, it's nice that you think about it and that you are experiencing remorse. It's unusual. Most people don't. Well, I appreciate you for that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that comment. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, so when did, when did you start looking into um, this process? A long, of... long time ago. Yeah. About the same time I started practicing the Dharma, so more than 20 years. It, I, there's no end to it. I mean, I can't say, oh, yes, I know the Enneagram. Nobody knows the Enneagram. It's so vast. Yeah. So profound. And it's called sometimes a system of personality typing, but it's so much more than that. If you want to look at it from a psychological perspective, you can, just like meditation. You can look at it from a psychological perspective in a transactional way. If right. I do this, I will get that. But the, that's not why these things were created. They weren't created to help you be a better leader or you know, get a better night's sleep, although those things are great. And both of these things, Enneagram and meditation, will help. But that's not why they exist. Right. They exist for purposes of deep transformation. And so, But you can look at them as, well, this is psychologically helpful. That's no small thing. But Or you can look at them as uh, something more mystical and profound than that, and right. also no small thing. I didn't. I I didn't really realize that its history is so so long. Uh, I think just because of my own ignorance on it, I've just seen it popping up in in social culture now because people are posting these online personality tests, like you're saying, uh, mm -hmm. using them and and kind of leaving it at the door there. And mm -hmm. so when I when I was getting ready for the podcast and listening to you speak on him, I was like, oh wow, this is a lot deeper than I thought. Because um, I've had a couple people bring it up and like, hey, what number are you? And I right. have no clue what they were ta <laughs> talking yeah. about. Yeah, it's easy to misuse anything yeah. powerful. The Enneagram is particularly easy to misuse. Oh, you're a two, so you always are going to do this. Or you're a seven, so you're never going to pay attention to that. And that's the wrong use. Right. It's not a tool for ghettoizing other people into tiny boxes where you think you know who they are. That's bullshit. That's bad. That's really unkind. It is actually a way of expanding everything, not not making yourself feel comfortable that you now understand the people in your life because you'll never understand them. Right. It's it, but you can communicate with them more deeply, and this can help. And that's actually one of the things I really loved about uh, the Four Noble Truths of Love is just how open you are, because uh, it's not a book that paints you in this amazing life and and your husband amazing light and your husband in a negative light it's very open no. and, and and you own up to a lot of your stuff he, mm -hmm. you know you tell his side of the story as well and I, I think that's really refreshing to to read in a book about these kind of things because a lot of times there is that top down and like oh this is this is how my life is so emulate it and you'll get there and I like the honesty that that you're able I appreciate to bring that. through writing I appreciate that. The, the first time I ever had my picture taken for a book, I was like, just, can I, I just want to look like myself, basically. And the person said, can't remember who they were, but the photographer shot a lot of authors said, oh, you don't want the typical self-help author photograph, which communicates something like, I'm just like you, only better. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't want that. <laughs> I I've become very sensitized to that. Oh, a self-help voice of I'm just like you, only better. No, <laughs> I see through you. <laughs> I, get, and I am I am just like you, and I'm not better. But I have studied certain things that maybe will benefit you. I feel like uh, that's a very I'm a I'm akin to that in the sense of how I counsel 
because I do feel that a lot of times I have people come in and, and they're like, tell me what's wrong. Give me advice. Fix this for me. And I look at them and I'm just like, I, I have no clue. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> yes. I, I can sit with you and we can, we can work together and try to work on skill building and discipline building to get you to where you want to be. That's um, great. That's honest. That's genuine. That's, you can honor that. That's truthful. It's <clears throat> good. But I do think I lose some clients because of that, because they come in and just they're like, this isn't what I want. It's like, okay. Yeah, I want the fix. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty open about that with people. I'm like, look, I may not be your cup of tea. We may not connect on this this uh, over the next couple of sessions, but I want you to be open and honest with me about that so we can get you to where you need to be. That's um, fantastic. And for the most part, it works pretty well. Um, and I feel like if you can own that own your role in it and be open and honest with people, you'll get more through the practice or any kind of discipline or practice. You'll mm -hmm. get a lot more from it and they'll get a lot more from it if you can do it. I agree. And I, if someone said those things to me, I would trust them because I know that was real. At the same time, and maybe you, you may not relate to this, but mm -hmm. when I first started writing, I would put in a lot of humana humana, <laughs> a lot of caveats, a lot yeah. of, well, this is what I learned. It might not be for you, which is true. Right. But every time an editor or, you know, I think this, but you may think otherwise, because I, that's true too. Right. But every editor I ever worked with would send me my manuscripts back with those things crossed out. Right. Those with some general sense of that's irritating. Don't do that. If you have something to say, just say it. You don't mm. have to like build a thousand caveats. Right, yeah, and, yeah. So some people are veer towards, I know everything, let me share it with you. That's also a weird hiding place, they're afraid, so they're hiding in some right. kind of arrogance. And other people hide in a, in a different kind of arrogance. I'm not saying this about you or me, actually, yeah. but a different kind of arrogance of, I don't know anything, don't hurt me, I'm, I'm, let me couch everything I'm saying and to soften the edges so you, if it doesn't work, you know, <laughs> but so it's been interesting, and, and I can imagine for you, too, in your work, it has been and will continue to be interesting to find that sweet spot between I'm the expert and I'm just like you, because right. actually neither of those are true. Right. So, so something in the middle way. And it's I very actually, interesting to find it for yourself. Uh, one of the earlier guests on the podcast was this woman named Nikki Myers. Uh, she's a yoga teacher, and she actually, I, I went and did her training for yoga as a 12-step recovery program. Well, and awesome. one of the most powerful things um, I got from, there's a ton I got from it, but one of the coolest things I got from it was how she spoke. And where I would normally say, I think, or I feel, or, you know, that caveat kind of like, hey, I'm just, this is my opinion, mm -hmm. take mm -hmm. it with consult. She would say, I assert. And I feel yeah. like that was a really cool thing for me to hear. And I've been not all the times because I think there are times to say I think and I feel, but mm -hmm. uh, when I catch myself saying that because I want to soften the blow, I try to make that action in my, my brain that if I assert it, it is coming from a powerful place that of my experience, but it's not also not hemming and hawing about like, oh, uh, maybe. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, I love so that. It was, it was really cool to hear her speak because just that presence was, she had me right then. I was like, I'm 110% into this training now. That's uh, so great. So it was really That's cool. That's great. Yeah, I can see why you say that. Yeah. So I do have two questions that I always end the podcast with because I'm a huge nerd. I don't know if you can see. I have a, a lot of Captain America there. I do see that. <laughs> um, some of them, some of my clients I see adolescents a lot will paint 
things for me and I, I, lo I love to put it out there because I'd like to have that uh, connection with them and that they can see some of their art out there. Um, but I always end the podcast with two questions about superpowers. So I'm going to tell you both and you can pick how you want to answer them. Okay, good. The first is if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? Mm. And then the second is what do you believe is your superpower? Mm. The quality about yourself that really shines through. I love that qu those questions. If I could have any superpower in the world with, unequivocally, without question, it would be softening the heart's of those whose hearts have hardened just by looking at them or thinking of them or wishing it that would be my that would be my chosen superpower that's awesome and my my personal superpower i i guess i would say is being susan uh, being uh, i don't want to sound uh, trivial but uh being genuine so that reminds me of so i have a four-year-old daughter Aww. And she's in preschool, and this mm -hmm. is going to connect, I promise. <laughs> um, <laughs> and she did a questionnaire at the beginning of the, this year's of, of preschool of what do you want to be when you grow up, what's your favorite food, things of that nature. And when we got to what do you want to be when you grow up, she said her name. She's like, oh, I just want to be me. And, you know, I know a lot of people would be like, well, no, they're talking about professions. But I, I just immediately started glowing. I was like, yes. <laughs> That's that. so great. Do it's that. so great you said that, and it's so great that you appreciated that. Yeah, just a very, just very short anecdote. When I was little, I was going to middle school, and there was everyone in that was starting middle school. We all met with I don't know what a teacher or principal or something, and we went around the table and said, "What do you want to accomplish in middle school?" <laughs> and people will say, "I want to get better at math. I want to make new friends. Whatever it was." And I, when it came to me, I, I, I just. I don't know what me say it, but I said, I want to be true to myself. <laughs> That's, That's what amazing. I want in middle school. And I, it was, yeah, well, now I think it, I, if I'd known that little girl, I would have given her a hug. But at the time, I felt like everybody just sort of looked at each other and went, okay, next. <laughs> just, <laughs> I don't know what you mean, but let's move on to the next person. That's awesome. But that's a great inclination. Yeah. What's your daughter's name? Her name is Mirabelle. No. Yeah. All the best to Mirabelle. That's wonderful. Thank you very much. She's she's a, a great little girl. That's Love wonderful. Her. That's so great. Um, so before we end, any, any last things you want to say to the listeners out there? Mm. I guess I've been writing about this this morning, so it's on my mind. 2020 is going to be an intense year uh, for all the reasons you can think of. And we have to be there for each other and be strong and be clear and not fall prey to our own aggression. And the best way to do those things, in my opinion, is to learn how to meditate and be in a community of meditators or just like-minded people. So find each other. Let's find each other and let's, let's practice being human together. Amazing. I, there's no better way to end this. So thank you. I appreciate you and, and all that you've said today. And just awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great talking to you. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be on the podcast, please outreach to us at info 
at thepromethianproject.org. If you want to learn more about The Promethean Project, or if you would like to donate to our cause, you can reach us at thepromethianproject.org. If you really do enjoy this podcast, please share with your friends. Please like our posts on social media, on Instagram and on Facebook. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or any podcast app that you like to listen to. Again, thank you for taking a listen. And remember that the most important step is always the next one.